CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. I was trying not to do the Stevie Wonder thing this week, and it, did, and it no. threw me off. No, you need to go ahead and close your eyes. And just hands. wave my head around. Yeah, <laughs> do all the things that you usually do. I'm just wide open tonight. You know, one of the beautiful things about a cigar is the ability to calm you down. Oh, absolutely. And I'm hyper. I've been, you know, you've seen me since I got here. I've been bouncing around the store saying hi to everybody, shaking hands, kissing babies. Taking phone calls, working. Yeah, taking phone calls, trying to sell a few house plans, and just complaining about January. I'm just, I'm wide open, and it's time for a cigar. It, it, it can go both ways for me. It can either rev me up or slow me down, depending on what I need. That's what, that's what I love about the cigar. So if I need to relax, it'll relax me. If I need to stay up, like if I need it instead of coffee to kind of keep my energy up so I can stay awake, it'll do that for me too. Okay. I, I was starting to think you were smoking sort of a blue cigar. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing quite Pfizer. like that. No. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know Pfizer made not, tobacco. Not, not staying up in that regard. <laughs> but anyway, now, but, that I've, now that I've taken the eight-year-old joke, I'm going to smoke my fine. cigar. So tonight... For my smoking pleasure, I've chose the Don Gonzalez Triple Lajero. And you went and saw him recently, right? Yeah, went down Monday. Um, Tom Petty and I rode down there and saw Don Pedro. Um, had a lot of fun talking to him. He had his roller there and rolling fresh cigars. And I've spoke about it before. The majesty of the fresh hand-rolled cigar laid down right there in front of you. Hard yeah. to beat. He brought a little Cuban rum that may or may not have had a tax stamp on it. And we just had a nice evening of smoking and relaxing with a good friend. And I brought back the Don Gonzalez Triple Lajero. Now, Triple Lajero would lead you to believe that this is going to be a knock-your-socks-off, hair-stand-on-end type strength of cigar. But typically, yeah. But it's not that way. This one of... Of all the triple Lajeros, triple Maduros, you know, you see all of the different... CAO did the triple Maduro for a long time. Everybody doing those parts. This is definitely uh, the Camacho. most balanced. Oh, CAO had... No, CAO had MX3, Maduro times three. Yeah. Camacho had, had the triple Maduro. Which was a triple Maduro, but yeah, sorry. I was, I was getting hung up on semantics. But anyway, this is the one of those blends that has the strength but is still balanced. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't knock me down. Which is something that he's told us before he really strives for. Yeah. He works hard on that and he takes his draw personally, which I really respect. I think I think a cigar maker should do that. Yeah. I think that's really important. So tonight I'm smoking a Nicaraguan Puro. What are you going to fire up? Smoking something that you never would have expected, I'm sure. Not only is it a Bellicoso, so it's got that torpedo-style tip, which I'm not a fan of, it's a Fuente. So I was in the shop working on Friday. I was in a really good mood. And uh, an old friend of mine, who I haven't seen in here in a while, uh, came in and handed me an Arturo Fuente Cuban Bellicoso and said, here you go, try this, enjoy it. And this is a guy who's renowned for being a Padron guy, if that tells you anything. It fits his palate very well. Um, I've also been kind of back on my workout cycle, so I've been struggling with dehydration lately, so I really didn't want to smoke anything Nicaraguan 
and really haven't been smoking anything Nicaraguan lately because of it, how much it tends to dry my palate out. So I've really been in a Dominican mood. He put this cigar in my hand on Friday. My, I don't know that this was the first one I've ever had, but it may have been. It, at least it's the first one that I remember. And holy crap, it was a good cigar. So I thought, you know what? I want to do it justice. I'm going to have it on the show. So that's what I'm smoking tonight. It's got an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper over Dominican binder and filler. The best part of this is I, I think in terms of in terms of production cigars for Fuente, I think it's the most flavorful thing that they put out of anything that I've ever tasted, uh, except maybe the Opus Lost City, but that's that's a maybe, and um, and it's only like nine bucks. I was fixing to say, what's the price tag on that one? Yeah, that's a that's not your description lends me to think it would be a fourteen dollar cigar. Well, and when he handed it to me, I that and knowing what he tends to smoke, I thought there was a good chance I was going to walk in there and see a twelve and a half dollar price tag. And sure enough, no, it was like nine and change or eight and change, maybe even. I will say this: Fuente has a lot of expensive cigars in their portfolio, mm-hmm. but. Fuente's quality is Fuente's quality regardless of the money you pay. Oh, absolutely. It's not like you drop down to one of their budget blends and find yourself wanting and all. And, I, and that's that's admirable. That's something to be admired that they're able to, that, you know, regardless of what price they're going to sell you the cigar, they're going to maintain a certain standard. Right. And I think Illusione is, is really good about that as well. I, I'm just thinking of another brand to compare it to that I think of is Illusione has the Rothschild and the Gigantes, which are both under $8. And then they've got, you know, the, um, what the, the, Oh shoot, MJ12, I think. Right. That um, you know is up in that twelve dollar range, but the consistency and the quality is the same in both, and they don't. It doesn't matter if you're getting the top of their line or the bottom of their line; you're happy either way. Well, and that's one of the things you know we always talk about is consistency. Even if I'm buying a four dollar smoke, I still expect it to draw well. I still expect it to hold together. I don't expect the wrapper to fall off. Now, you know, the Drew Estate Factory smokes. I've recently had the opportunity to smoke a couple of them. Finally, it took you forever to get your hands on them. It took a long time to find singles of them, and I know why. Because they're so good? No, they're just bland. Oh. They're just absolutely no... I got no character. I got no profile out of that tobacco. I got none of the things that make me enjoy a cigar could I find. Now, it was a $3.93 cigar. Right. But um, the construction was still excellent, didn't fall apart, still drew well, just didn't have anything for me. See, I kind of felt that way about the last call that I had a few weeks ago. You know, it, it tasted fine, but it just didn't, it didn't do much for me. Um, it didn't, it tasted like an A.J. Fernandez. It tasted like a quick smoking short A.J. Fernandez, but it didn't, it didn't do anything special. It didn't do anything all its own for me you know if my cigar i always judge my cigar like i judge my waiter and or waitress were they tip worthy or not you know did they just do the job did they keep my drink full did they bring the food on time were they semi nice to me um that's the minimum yeah and then above that is what makes them tip worthy and i I judge cigars the same way construction draw flavor 
Then above and beyond that is bringing something new to the palette or something exotic. Yeah, value for dollar, all that stuff kind of comes later. Yeah, no, I totally get it. But this this Cuban Bellicoso is just... I mean, this is this is definitely tip worthy, in in my opinion. Oh wow, very cool. Well, let's talk a little legislative news. All right, let's get it out of the way up top because I know you and I. I have a couple of legislative things, but I know you and I both have the same one at the top of our list. So let's talk about this HR two ninety three, called the Youth Vaping Prevention Act. So that tells you right there what they're on about, uh, but. In reality, it's going to affect every single tobacco product sold in America. Basically, the most notable change for us is going to be that it's going to limit or otherwise prohibit, as I understand it, uh, being able to buy cigars online. Well, here's the thing. This bill has not got a fart's chance in a hurricane of passing. I mean, it's really not. It's um, zero co-sponsors have Mm. signed on to this bill. Um, the new bill has zero co- is um, put forth by the I'm trying to get his full name, Del- Rosa Deloro. Rosa Delora. and it's just ignorant. There's really no other way to describe it. This is, I think this is the first salvo. Here's what I think's happening. Let's talk behind the scenes. Well, before we get to that, let's talk behind the behind the scenes. He is on the House Subcommittee, which is the, take a deep breath, House, House Labor, Health, and Human Services, Education, and Related Agencies Appropriations Subcommittee. Expialidocious. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's the House Subcommittee that oversees the FDA. And there we have it. There's the connection. I think what this is... Backdoor deal. This is a big salvo for the FDA. They want to launch into this Mm -hmm. because they know they've lost quite a bit of ground on the regulating the premium cigar industry. Right. They know that the handmade cigar exemption is probably going to pass, that Mm -hmm. it's got lots of sponsors and lots of people behind it. So I think this is the nuclear option. They're going to launch this, and it's going to get no support. I don't think it was ever designed to get any support. No, I think it was designed to get headlines. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's all about. And I think what we're going to end up, this is my my Nostradamus prediction. I think we're going to lose flavored cigars, and we're going to get the hand um, hand-rolled cigar exemption. I really think that's what what the final compromise is going to be in all this is we'll get the premium cigar exemption except for flavored cigars will just go away and if they offered me that deal today i think i'd take it yeah i mean assuming like we've said before that it would come with kind of a moratorium on further legislation like you said it becomes a foothold is the problem uh, I did notice that uh, there was a the same guy proposed a similar bill last year, at the end of last year, um, that had four co-sponsors. So even even the first opportunity at this, even though it did get a little bit of support, didn't get much. And I'm, you know, so I, I don't see m- much happening on this one. I think this is just to get the lobbyists for Scandinavian Tobacco Company fired. I think this is just because somebody wants his position. Maybe this Rosa guy's or the gal's Got um, someone yeah, in the wings. Yeah, wants that job. Yeah. 
I think that's all this is about. I do not take this bill seriously, nor do I consider it anything to even think about. Well, especially because it's a little bit like a spider. You know, it's got too many different legs going on because on one, it prevents cigarette and vape sales across state lines, which limits, um, you, you know, online sales, which cigars get tied up in. It also would increase the tobacco tax, the federal tobacco tax. It also would uh, prohibit flavored cigars as well. So it's trying to do too much. And I think that's going to be ultimately its own downfall. Well, and it's also wanting to increase taxes. It's also wanting to exacerbate the tax burden that's already placed on tobacco products, the quote, sin tax. Yeah, exactly. So we're enough time on that. Well, in good legislative news... Is there such a thing? There is, actually. It's happening up in Maine, so you and I won't see the benefit of this, although I will actually be in Maine at the, in fall of next year, so maybe I'll get maybe this will go into effect before then. Anyway, there's a state legislator in Maine that has introduced a new piece of legislation that's actually going to allow smoking in cigar lounges. So this is from Half Wheel. The headline is Maine legislator introduces bill to create cigar lounges. Basically, when they when Maine put the smoking ban into effect, there was no grandfathering it was just an ultimate it was just a ban on indoor smoking what this sets to do is allow um, what what was the specialty tobacco stores was the term they used um, to transition into becoming lounges uh, it requires that a tobacco lounge does not sell cigarettes or allow cigarette smoking which I think is a, a lot of cigar shops have that kind of either yeah. written or unwritten that you don't smoke cigarettes. Um, it, w- it also requires that there's no food made on the premises. But essentially what they're, what they're trying to do is allow cigar shops to allow smoking in, in stores, which I think is great. I do think it's great. I think it, and you know, okay, the smoking ban. Let's talk about this for a second. All these smoking bans came out. Um, here in Tennessee, it was what? 15 years ago? 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, it would have been 2007. Yeah, 2007, so eight years ago. Or 12 years ago now. Yeah. Sorry, I keep forgetting it's 2019. Um, and I was in favor of it because I did not care for going to a restaurant and having to deal with smoking, non-smoking. Especially when the dis- difference between smoking and non-smoking was just an arbitrary line. There was nothing to actually delineate them. Right. I'm cool with that. And, okay, don't walk around Toys R Us with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. I'm okay with that. Except that that had gone away long before. I mean, when was the last time you saw someone smoking a cigarette in Walmart, for example? Right. You know, I I still maintain that Waffle House doesn't taste as good now that they don't allow cigarette smoking in there. That was just that hole-in-the-wall diner. You can still smell the cigarette smoke in there when you go in. It, It just... The hash browns aren't the same without a little bit of cigarette ash yeah, in them. a little ash drop in yeah, them out, that, of, out of a cook. Short order cook works the entire day with a cigarette in his mouth. Right, and but, it just broke up with one of the waitresses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I understand the, the but, beauty of that. But to your point, yes. I mean, uh, get, getting rid of smoking indoors, I, in general, I'm, I don't have a problem with, although I have been in some meetings that have lasted 11 hours and just been like, oh, my gosh, I miss the days where you could smoke inside because that would make this bearable. Well, and here's the thing. I don't mind if it's a place of public accommodation 
where families, children, things like that are going to be coming in, and they wish to ban smoking, I think that should be the right. don't think that should be any problem at all. Right. And let the market dictate it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, when, when in 2007, when they passed the bill here in Tennessee, they, there were, you were still allowed to allow, you were still able to allow smoking in your establishment as long as it was a 21 and up. And that had no bearing on the type of, it could have been a restaurant, a bar, a tobacco lounge, whatever it was, as long as it's 21 and up. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because it does kind of, because it does cool allow that. the mar- market to dictate. As long as there's still avenues for people to go out and seek what they want, okay, I'm fine with that. Well, and here's the thing. We, we hang out in a cigar lounge a couple of nights a week mm-hmm. and all, and when somebody comes in here and wrinkles their nose, yeah, I just want to fling an ashtray at them. I just, so I what did you expect? Yeah, hey, do, can you not read? Are you illiterate as well as stupid? <laughs> Speaking of illiterate, one thing, one small piece of this bill that I think is a little whatever is the fact that it does require that um, the owner provide notice to all applicants for employment and employees that, quote, working in a cigar lounge may cause serious negative health effects, including an increased risk of cancer and heart disease and no level of exposure to environmental tobacco is safe, end quote. Okay. (laughs) Who cares? Yeah. You you walk into a cigar lounge, you know what you're getting into. And I've also never seen an employee of a cigar lounge that wasn't a cigar smoker or someone used to being around smoking in general already. Yeah, you, that's sort of one of those things the market dictates itself. Now, let's go for... That's a good piece of legislation. Let's go to one that's just a little more foolish. Iowa bill would remove casino exemption from smoking ban. So right now you're allowed to smoke in a casino in well, Iowa? Yes. In both and of them? How many casinos are in Iowa? Again, is this not market-driven? If the casino thought they were losing money because they allowed smoking in their casino, would they not pull the plug on it? Exactly. This is a completely frivolous waste of Iowa taxpayer money. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. Um, You know, they want to remove the exemption currently in place for excursion gambling boats, racetracks, and casinos. Okay, aren't racetracks outside? To begin, like, for, let's start with the yeah. fact that the the racetrack should be able to decide for themselves. Let me tell you something. Secondly, folks. you're outside. What are you yeah. afraid the 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 horse the dogs are going to be a little slower because they got a whiff of your Marlboro? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? As as a um, as someone who's against his will been forced into a couple of NASCAR events in his life, oh. and all the I I respect people's right to do boring things. And Not even do boring things. Watch boring things. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But when those cars come rolling by and the exhaust flies out of them, I would suck on a cigar just for the fresh air. <laughs> so you're saying the exhaust coming out of the racing dogs is probably... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I haven't ever been behind a fully loaded Greyhound, but I'm sure that it's no better than a Oh, I was babysitting or dog-sitting a, a fully loaded golden retriever over the holiday weekend a couple weekends ago. And I can tell you the exhaust coming out of that dog would bring tears to your eyes worse than any cigar smoke. Yeah, Ace is the only dog I've ever had that will actually let one go, stand up, look at me, and walk away in disgust like I did. <laughs> well, I think I've actually said it on the show before. What I love about my dog, Oscar, is the fact that he uh, he farts so infrequently 
that whenever it happens, he stares at his butt like, what What did that a-hole just say to me? <laughs> but anyway, okay. Do you have any more legislation? No, nothing, nothing on that. <laughs> can we wash our hands of the foolishness that we're forced to pay, pay for in this country? Absolutely. I, I wash my hands of this. So let's talk about something a little more whimsical. So Ronson is a name that you probably haven't ever heard of before. Uh, They recently, they are a a lighter company, and they recently released a new lighter called the Jet Light Select. Um, It looks a bit like a vibrator. It's it's not a particularly attractive lighter, in my opinion. But it, um, you know, it's... There's really not... I mean, the reviews on it aren't that good. That's not really what I want to talk about. (laughs) I just saw the name Ronson, and I got really excited. Well, for those of us like myself that have no idea what Ronson lighters are famous for, please explain it. So they've been making lighters for 120 years. So the pedigree from this company is what makes it so intriguing to me. And I'll get to the point that I kind of shared with you earlier in a minute. Um, But in 1897 was when the company was founded and it, 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 when strike flint lighters first became sort of safe to carry around, you know, because there was a time when flint wasn't stable enough to be a regular carry device like we think of it now. But he actually, um, Aronson was his last name. I can't remember his first name. Um, Vincent, Louis Vincent Aronson. He, cre- he got the U.S. patent on the strike flint lighter. So this is how old this goes. And he, he several different uh, lighters, automatic pocket lighters, things like that. He kind of went out of business in the 1970s. The reason I think it's so interesting is because in the original Ian Fleming novels, in which my favorite character of literature and film, James Bond, he carried a Ronson lighter. And so while... I don't particularly care for this particular lighter, and it doesn't get me that excited. It's a single jet that doesn't look like it'd fit in your pocket very well. Um, I love the idea that they're making lighters again. You know, and they've always kind of been around. Like, the flint that I buy for my Julius is actually a Ronson flint. So they're still in business. They're still doing stuff, but they're not doing the cool lighters anymore. I would love to see if this takes off for some reason... I'd love to see them get back into those nostalgia pieces. And I, I, would, I would be the first in line for a Ronson lighter if they would make one like our Julius, which is the Strike Flint soft flame style. Well, a company like that with a little history behind it, they, they may be happy with their market share. They may not be used, you know, looking to compete with Calibri and Zycar and things like that because they're at the age they don't have to. Right. But that can change in an instance. I do know I recognize the butane can for Ronson, and I have always been warned against it, that you needed to use a Calibri or a triple filter butane. Yeah, and I, I actually don't know enough about that, um, about their butane to know whether or not that's marketing or truth. You know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of that stuff that, you know, because there are people that sell, like, 80-time refined butane, and you just don't need it. At some point, can you refine it to the point it's just air? You would think. (laughs) At a certain point, ain't you taking the butane out? (laughs) But, I mean, but realistically, anything triple refined is is 
plenty for for a modern cigar lighter. So your Calibri, your Zycar, any of the Vector products, all of that stuff, it's all the same. Well, so we're going to step away for a break here because we got a big second half of the show. So I'm going to cut us out just a little bit early and all because we've got Mark Twain stories that I'm excited about. We've got famous people opening cigar bars. We've yes. got big game cigar etiquette. We've got all kinds of stuff. We've got five minutes of me standing on a soapbox grumbling that I have to call it the big game. <laughs> so for anybody that's left when we get back, we'll see you in a few minutes. All right. We'll be back with that more after this. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. I want to talk about Aladino Cigars, A-L-A-D-I-N-O. This isn't a cigar brand that I think many people have heard of. This is one, actually, the first one to me was a gift from one of our listeners. And then I got to enjoy one down um, when I was at the poker tournament in Huntsville. And it's an Aurora cigar, Aurora cigar. Yeah, Eoria family has made this. Um, the Aladino Corona S is the one we're talking about. It's a 5x44, and I'm looking at it right now at two guys at $6.19 a stick. This is a lot of cigar for that money. And this it's a Honduran is, Puro, so it comes with a lot of bite. It's Corojo, Corojo, Corojo. Oh, speak this, my language. This The amount of Corojo in this cigar is balanced well, but it is there. You really feel it. It has a very unique taste. This is a cigar you want to smoke when you've smoked some other things or when all the cigars you've smoked are starting to taste the same. This stands above all the others. Oh, very first palate cleanser under eight. This is a great smoke. Comes in a traditional box of 20. Um, They're outstanding. Just cannot say enough good things about the Aladino Corona S. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is Shane sitting across from the man whose cigar knowledge, his pool of cigar knowledge, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered how you were going to turn that into something negative. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that that's negative. No, but you know a little about everything. That is true. I know enough about to. I know enough about most everything to be dangerous. It's it's funny the. the old phrase, the old saying about fame praise really applies to that particular statement. You know, people will say jack of all trades and master of none. Is that a compliment or an insult? Right. You know, it's all in your perspective in life. It depends. You know, you want to be a jack of all trades. You just want them to leave the second half of that phrase off. But you definitely don't want them to just say, yeah, he's a master of nothing. Let me tell you something. <laughs> As someone in the construction business, the jack-of-all-trades is rapidly dying off. Oh, I can imagine. The, the, this generation does not do that well. No. But I, I, I blame that a little bit on the employers of today. No one wants a jack-of-all-trades anymore. They, it's the McDonald's mindset of management. They want someone who they can stick in front of a machine and say, put tab A into slot B over and over all day long. Don't think. Don't get out of your lane. That's what people are hiring for right now. You know, creativity and versatility is not a trait. Now, it 
everyone says they want it, but they most employers will squander any of that type of talent that they have. Sorry, I'm about think, to get on my own soapbox yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. We could do it. We could do a whole podcast on that, but I'm not going to turn into old man Shane and grumble about millennials because it's as much my generation that didn't get it at that point. So there's right. a lot of that jack of all trade that is kind of becoming a becoming an extinct item. Yeah, and there's certain jobs you need that. Speaking of construction, though. I noticed you're getting a little sideways over there. I did. I got a little crooked burn. It's a box press. Yeah. And my V-cut on my box press, I think I'm just going to have to consign myself in life that from now on I'm going to punch a box, box press. Well, the, the box press becomes difficult. As I've said before, the key to keeping your cigar burning evenly is to rotate it so that the hot spot doesn't always stay in one place. And with a box press, that it doesn't. you have to be more conscious of it, whereas when you've got a regular round cigar, it naturally rolls through the process of smoking it. And it may just be about put the long side towards the ground, and I think you'll be good. Well, it's, and it's hard for me to smoke a box press vertically. Right. I'll, it's always an odd shape because it horizontally is so much more natural. Right. So I'm smoking two-dimensionally rather than four-dimensionally, and that makes a, a it, huge difference. It does. It definitely does. So real quick... We had way too much legislative talk in the first half of this show. Yeah, let's have some fun in the second half. Samuel Langhorn Clemens, known as Mark Twain mm-hmm. at all. And I didn't ever know till recently that his middle name was Langhorn. You didn't? I did not. I always heard Samuel Clemens and Mark Twain. But his book, Roughing It, about the Wild West, he told a story and I, I love a good story about three men that were lost in a blizzard in the West, and they all made the vow that they would give up one vice if they could survive the night. One man threw away his bottle of whiskey. One man threw away his deck of playing cards. And Mark Twain threw away his pipe into the snow. Well, they stumbled a little further and found an inn and survived the night. A couple of days later, while digging through the snow looking for his pipe, <laughs> Mark Twain realized what a foolish picture that was, but didn't want his two friends to catch him. So he stepped behind one of the sheds to enjoy his pipe, and there was the other man with his bottle of whiskey <laughs> and the, other guy and the third guy playing a hand of solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, a, you know, and this is the interesting part about this article. I love that story. That's one of my favorite Mark Twain stories for obvious reasons. Did you know he was legendary for smoking a cheap, bad cigar? I did know that. He never smoked Havana's, never smoked Cubans, did not care for them. He was a cheroot man. Yeah. And his friends, when they would come smoke with him, would actually bring their own cigar. Sounds a bit like some people we know. Having read Mark Twain enough to understand, you know, you can't read an author's work without understanding a little bit more of their psychology. Right. I wonder if he didn't really enjoy the cheap cigars as much as he enjoyed putting people in the position where they had to watch him smoke one. Yeah, I feel like at a certain point, you know, the puppet master enjoys being on stage every once in a while. And I could imagine there being a certain... You know, it's like the guy who only drinks cheap beer or only drinks bad coffee just because it's fun for him to see other people recoil in horror. I could kind of understand that. I could understand. I would never do it myself. It makes no... But, you know, I'm not good with self-denial. You're a huge movie fan. Right? How... What would be your thoughts 
on a reimagining of Tom Sawyer in the modern era, if someone were to make that. And I don't mean like a remake like they did in the 90s, but I mean, if you look at the, the mischievous nature of Tom Sawyer and, and the different, you know, um, lessons and, and, and things that were taught through the course of that story... I feel like in a modern era, there's a there's a place for that story again. But I, I, I would love to see someone go in and do that book again, like do a movie, but completely set in modern times. And I think you could get away with it. Do we possess the political climate that a director could actually pull that off? I think so. I think the right cast and the right director, you know, you have to go into it with a certain... It's not one of these... You know, there was a movie that came out with Haley Joel Osment back in the early 2000s or late 90s called AI. And it was about artificial intelligence and this little robot boy. And it was Pinocchio. I mean, it was a rework. And it wasn't until like the third act that I finally realized that. I wasn't watching very closely, clearly. But it wasn't billed as Pinocchio. It wasn't. It just you realize that's what it was. I think to pull it off correctly, you have to go in with the title as Tom Sawyer. You have to go into it with with people having the full expectations of it's ripped right out of the book. It's just modernized. I don't know if you could because kids grow up so quickly nowadays. You know, kids don't have as much time to be kids now as they did in the Tom Sawyer era. And I don't know if you could tell that in such a way. You know, I think that's the biggest problem with that premise. I'd love to see it, but I don't think it could be realistic because the kids I know knew stuff at 12 that I didn't know till I was 26. Yeah. But I feel like that thirst for knowledge, that, 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 ancient, that eagerness to learn that so many kids have these days. I mean, I look at my own daughter. She loves to learn. She's always on YouTube learning how to do this and learning how this works and this. And I think now, yes, they grow up a little bit faster, but that thirst for knowledge is, is kind of what I got out of Tom Sawyer. You know, is that he, was, he was mischievous to the point of understanding. And I think you still have that. I just think the media, um, f- for how they achieve that is different. You know, staying out until the streetlights come on, riding your bike with your neighborhood friends doesn't happen anymore. But there, there are still some things that are happening. I don't know. I just It was something I thought about the other day, and I thought... Well, I think it's doable, and here's what I'll do. I'll get you the number for the guys at Stogie TV, and we'll see if we oh. can get you get them set up I to wondered help you how, with this. <laughs> I wondered how you were going to bring that up. The master of the Segway strikes you, you, again. You are. You are. That was, okay, let, all right, fine. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this atrocity that you made me sit through. Now, uh, nothing against the guys over at Stogie TV. Actually, no, everything against it. It was awful. Now, I agree with you. The information that was presented in this documentary was very, very good. They did a good job of going through the history of the company. But the production value was so poor. It was as... All right. I I texted to to give you a little behind the scenes how the show works. I, uh, I, st- I sat down to watch it, or no, I put it on, on the treadmill last Sunday night, and I was going to watch it while I went for my run. I made it three and a half minutes, and I text Shane. I said, I can't do it. I, I cannot do it. 
this is this is unbearable. And he said, "Come on, nope. You you promised. I, think I you called g- you a name. You did call me a name, and you said no. You've got to do this. And I said, okay. So, so a couple nights later, I'm going for another run. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I finally finished it about two nights ago. There are a couple of things. The the number one rule. Let me go with my main concern here. The number one cons- rule when you're a documentary filmmaker is that you have to take yourself out of the story. You're not the character. You are not even a cast member. You're there as an observer, and these guys did not do that. It, they were the character, and they were. it was all about their trip to the factory. It wasn't about Jose Orlando or Jorge. It was about their trip to the Padron factory. And I'll tell you, they did not even do that part of it well. No, it was. Um, uh, you said something. I don't remember if you said it on the show last week or if we were just talking about it off the air. Where it's like it was filmed on an iPhone. Yeah. And, and I, half of the shots were, you know, them walking down hallways and just rabbit trailing into a conference room or walking over here, or whatever you know, whatever struck their fancy, and it's bobbing up and down. And it was filmed on whatever audio input. I mean, even if it was filmed on an iPhone, they have good cameras now. They will allow you to plug a microphone into a, a use one. You know, the the audio quality was so poor. And, and filmmaking equipment is so cheap, especially if you're going to be Stogie TV. You're going to be doing TV. TV's in your name. It, it's what you do. Take a little time and investment to actually get a, a GoPro with a remote microphone is all that would have taken. It was just, and the other thing, I, I feel really bad because I know that they, I know they probably take a lot of pride in this, and I, and I don't mean to be so negative about it. It was just so hard to watch because the other thing that they would do is be all right. So, in documentary filmmaking, you've got your A roll and your B roll. Your A-roll or your interviews and, and, and things like that. B-roll is what you scroll, un, the, the video bits underneath the, the talking that's going on. They used stock footage and, and stock photographs. Like, they're talking about Jose Orlando when he first came to Miami and he bought the hammer and he's going around building stuff and that's how he... That's an integral part of this guy's story, this company's story... And they're showing stock images of someone with, like, a slide rule and a two-by-four. And it's like, that, no, either show me a picture of the actual subject matter. I don't need stock photographs. It just completely pulled me out of it. Well, I was disappointed that these gentlemen were given such great access to Padron Cigars. Because Padron Cigars knows how good they are. They know, you know, people complain about dealing with Padron and how difficult it is to get orders and cigars and things like that. But Padron knows how good their product is, knows their product is going to sell itself no matter what. And they gave these guys what I would consider an amazing amount of access. Yeah, and, and I feel like they squandered it. I do too. I feel like it was squandered. I feel like that there it was, was way too much of their own personalities in it. I didn't feel like I got a feel for... It was them telling... They were on site, but they spent all the time telling the story rather than... And I, I get it. Jose Orlando doesn't speak English. So you kind of have to... But Jorge does. Jorge speaks perfect English. Let them tell the story. You know, let them tell their own story and just be a bystander. You know, kind of keep the content moving where you want it, but then back out of it. Um, that being said, if you go to YouTube 
and you search for Padron Cigars, there's actually another documentary that shows up before this one, and it's from the InSmoke Project. Fantastic. In fact, the week before, I sent Shane a, a text and I, because I was watching this and I was loving it, and I said, this can't possibly be the right one, and sure enough, it wasn't. But So search for Padron Cigars, and the, the title of the video is just Padron Cigars, and it's by the InSmoke Project. In Smoke Project it was done five years ago. It's this is how it should have been done. How many views? Uh, Two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. That's less less than I thought. I figured it would have more than that. It's about double what the Stogie TV one has right now. Well, with guys like us reviewing the Stogie TV one, it's no small wonder. Right. Exactly. So, let's talk about the contemporary, the big game, as they've like as. As we have been forced to call it by the... Which I think is so silly, because if you think about one event that's going to get... First of all, you don't need to market or advertise it. But why would you rather people not be able to talk about your, your event versus all this load of free publicity you'd be getting if you would just let people use the name? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that we have to call it the big game, yeah. but... Okay. On the list of things in my life that bother me, that's way down there. I'm not going to climb up on my soapbox for that particular aspect of it. But I do want to talk about someone who has been in the big game, Cam Newton. He is going to open a cigar bar lounge near Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Oh, interesting. Uh, Very. Why there, I wonder? Well, him and Michael Jordan both live in Atlanta. I didn't know he lived in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody, if you ask everybody, where does Michael Jordan live? Let's well, say Chicago. No. no, I knew Michael Jordan lived in Atlanta. I didn't know that Cam did. But they're going to open. He's a three-time Pro Bowl quarterback. And they're going to open this cigar lounge. And the, the renderings look beautiful. Yeah. 4,600 square foot in the Castleberry Point building at 110 Centennial Olympic Park Drive. It's going to have a secret VIP lounge hidden behind a set of moving bookshelves. That's the way you do that. As somebody who doesn't care for Cam Newton, I'm, he has got whoever is designing this for him, he's got the right people. Yeah, I agree. Working it. I mean, I really like that they're doing that. The pictures look excellent. You can find the article is actually on the Georgia Post. Um, you can find the article about it. It's worth perusing and just looking at it. I'm not going to invest a lot of time in it because I don't like him real well. Does it say when it opens? No, it does not. Okay. It says that they're currently in development. Oh, okay. So it'll probably be a little bit. But I thought that was interesting because we have a long history of football players and cigars. You know, the Ditka cigar from Camacho. Right. And uh, Ray Lewis did a Camacho cigar. He did. And, you know, and we've, and we've talked about the Alabama-Tennessee tradition of smoking cigars after the game for the victor. You know, there's there's a rich, rich history in cigars in football. You know, uh, that, w- but what's funny is there must be something in the water right now because basketball legend Carl Malone is launching a cigar brand uh, in conjunction with a, a cigar lounge that he's opening up as well. I think his is in Vegas. No, it's in... Uh, I would hope R- you Rust- it, No, it's in Ruston, Louisiana. Or I'm, I'm assuming it's Ruston. <laughs> I would assume. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Miami Cigars is actually putting it out, which I think is awesome. It's going to be a Ecuadorian wrapper over a Brazilian binder and fillers from Brazil, Dominican, and Nicaragua, and Peru. 
There's a it's lot interesting. Going on. Brazilian binder you don't see often. No, you don't. See a lot of Brazilian rapper. Don't see a lot of Brazilian binder. So that's very interesting. And, and I like the inclusion of Peruvian tobacco there. We've we've started to see that on one cigar that we've smoked on the show. I think I'm trying to remember what cigar that was, but it's not something you see very often. I, I like that we're getting more tobacco from around the world and a much wider variety of climates and areas for this agricultural product. Yeah. Does I, it I, say the MSRP? Yeah, 9 to 12 bucks. Not so bad at all. Per, like right in Miami's wheelhouse, you know, Miami Cigars not, is known for that kind of mid-range price point, so they're staying true to that despite the fact that it's got Carl Malone's name on it, which I think is fantastic. It doesn't say here whether or not it's going to be... Okay, it is not going to be a shop exclusive. So even though he has opened his own shop in Louisiana, um, they're going to be shipping nationwide. So we'll be able to get our hands on it. So interestingly enough, a little Carl Malone fact for you. Wrestling and sports figures have always gone together. Um, You know, famously Mr. T appearing at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Famously so many celebrities and the celebrity wrestlers have always been who drew the short straw and had to work with them. But Carl Malone was held by everyone that worked with him when he did, he did a little stint with WCW promoting and just doing his thing back in his prime. He was held as the easiest to work with, the nicest guy, really? the most wanting to learn. He put the work in. He worked with Hulk Hogan and Dallas Page. And... They had nothing but positive. Mr. T was a tremendous pain in the neck to um, They actually, inside when, I'm not going to get too deep into the wrestling That's, weeds, but I got to wade in there Hey, just it's a your show. You do what you want. Thank you. <laughs> when Mr. T wrestled Roddy Piper, they actually taped Roddy's fists together inside the boxing gloves so that he did not grab him and hurt him because wow. he was that hard to work with, and they knew that Roddy would eventually lose his temperature and break his neck. That's... His temper. His temperature, his temper. <laughs> and break his neck. That's wild. So, actually, when you see that match, you see Roddy Piper fall out of the ring. He fell out of the ring because they had taped his fists together, and he couldn't grab the ropes to keep from falling oh, out. Oh, that's funny. Of the ring. <laughs> Almost hurt himself. I was at WrestleMania, and he told this story. It was really interesting. But... Moving forward. Well, I just uh, one more thing on Carl Malone. The reason that this piqued my interest is because it just maybe if, if you've never had a little more homework for the listeners, if you've never heard Jimmy Kimmel's impression of Carl Malone, do yourself a favor and go find it. He does uh, a little. He used to do a little bit on the radio at Christmas every year. I think he still does called um, Santa Carl, and it was his impression of Carl Malone, and it's absolutely flipping hilarious. Jimmy Kimmel's one of those guys that is so good and so enjoyable politically, totally opposed to him. Anytime he starts playing politics, my fast-forward finger acts up and I have to skip it. But he is so talented and so funny But his comedy is He's a master of the craft of comedy. Mm -hmm. I give credit where credit is due. I daft my Harley Davidson hat toward him. (laughs) I believe he really does a great job where credit is due. But let's talk about... Big game and parties. Okay. And I'll. So, I'm I'm not watching the game this year. Really? No. Can't bear to watch the Patriots win another one. Don't care about the Rams at all. I'm gonna stay home and watch Mashery runs. I'm out. That well, that kind of changes what I'm. That probably changes what I'm gonna do this year then. 
Well, you know, usually we have a big deal here at the lounge. Yeah. I, you know, we bring some spinach dip, and I usually make pork tenderloin and biscuits, and we bring some food, and all of us sit around and enjoy the game. But I just can't do it this year. I'm out. Hmm. I've absolutely, I cannot bear to watch it happen again. Um, I'm out. I just am absolutely not. But if I were going to come. <laughs> if you were going to go to a party. And I'll, when choosing your cigar for the game, do you choose a cigar that will last you the longest through the game? Do you actively smoke slower? Do you plan on multiple cigars? How do you balance your smoking to the game? I always plan on multiple cigars. Just because, especially with the big game, you, it's going to last a whole lot longer. You know, they take more commercial breaks, and the, the, they actually televise the halftime show as well as the halftime report. You know, there's all this stuff going on. So the, the game lasts a lot longer than a traditional football game. Yeah, the... It's going to be a lot longer. Generally, with any football game, I plan a two-cigar night. I plan a cigar for the first half and a cigar for the second half. And rarely am I here at the end of the game. Usually usually by midway through the fourth quarter, you know who's going to win or lose. Right. And I'll usually in the big game, I almost slipped. In the big game, you know by the end of the first quarter who's going to win or who's going to lose. Although last couple of years, there have been some... It's It's been down to the wire. Well, the last couple of years, it's been nobody knows just when the Patriots are going to win. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> they just know they're going to. Was it last year that Atlanta was in it, or was that the year before? Uh, year before, I think. Okay, when that... Yeah, anyway. I'm far from a football historian. It was the year before, because, I, yeah, I remember that. But yeah. let's say you have a buddy invite you over to their house, and they're going to have a crowd of 30 people, and they're gonna, planning to watch Hope the it's game. it's a big house. And you're planning to, at some point, you know your friend's a cigar smoker. You know of the 30 couples there, there's probably 10 solid guys that are going to be smokers. What is the proper etiquette when it comes to cigar smoking at the party? Because it's not like a cigarette that you can just slip out for five minutes. Well, that's why I'm going to say. The etiquette actually falls on the host on this one. If you're a, a true blue cigar guy like you or I, and you're having... 30 people over, 10 of which are cigar smokers, you got to have a TV outside. And now that, that becomes a little bit easier here in the South where, you know, it, even if it's really cold, like 20 degrees like it is right now, you can do some things to, to make it hospitable long enough for a cigar. And a cigar smoker will stand being a little cold if they can watch the game and smoke a cigar. Yeah, I think you have to have the you have to have the TV outside, or you have to have it where it can be seen from outside mm-hmm. um, and, and most, heard. Yeah, and heard. And most people are going to slip out to stand around the big big heater. Let me tell you something: those big patio heaters are wonderful. They are. You've got to be really close to them, or have an enclosed space. Right, or enclose your space. You know, during the winter, I always, um, if anybody from my homeowners association is listening repaint my <laughs> porch and I seal it up in plastic so that I can go Have out. you done that this year? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and this year I sealed the underside, which really worked well. We were out there the other night. Um, I can encapsulate it for you. <laughs> <laughs> we were out there the other night um, painting during the Royal Rumble, and we had two heaters running, and it's a 12 by 24 porch, and it was comfortable. Excellent. We were very comfortable out there watching the Royal Rumble and enjoying ourselves. I made the finest brisket of my life. Excellent. It was an outstanding evening of painting and fellowship with the guys. (laughs) 
So, but if it's let, okay, so let's go going back. If it is a situation where you're just you want to try and have, I think, I think you go for halftime. Do you put the host? This is always a nervous thing for me. Do you put the post in the the host in the position? where he has to declare cigar smoking or not by asking him, say, hey, is there going to be any smoking going on? Or do you just throw a couple of cigars in the travel humidor and bring with you and see if the opportunity presents itself? I think it depends on what you want out of the game. I, I like smoking a cigar during the game. That's, that's part of the enjoyment for me. You know, I, I've talked about NFL football in general before about how I don't, I care about my team and I don't care about anybody else's team. So when it comes to the big game, these are two teams that I don't have any vested interest in. If I'm going to enjoy it, it's because of the camaraderie, the party atmosphere, it's because of the cigar, and it's because of the commercials, which have gotten worse and worse and worse with each passing year. But, you know, but I always look forward to seeing the Clydesdales. So, <laughs> you know, so for me, I think if I get an invite from somebody that I know is a cigar smoker, yeah, I'm going to ask, you know, what's the, what's the cigar situation? Oh, we're just going to watch the game. Okay, I'll see you at the shop. See, I think, that, <laughs> I think that actually puts the host in an uncomfortable position. Because if he wasn't planning on cigar smoking, now he knows that one of his guests would enjoy having a place to smoke cigars. And if he was planning on it, he'll say to you, oh, yeah, and we'll have, we'll have a place to smoke. True. But at the same time taking this very internally and, and think about my particular situation as opposed to sort of a hypothetical is that all the cigar smoking friends that I have, I met through the cigar shop. So, you know, it's, it's not like I have random friends that also smoke cigars and it's like, Oh, is, is this kind of a, no, these are people that I know are, are pretty big cigar guys. Right. So I, I don't think it's I don't think you're burdening them too bad by saying what's the cigar situation going to be like, because they know that that's a hobby that you guys share, and that's probably like you and I, like that's where we became friends. True. We need an international sign for cigar smokers, perhaps a secret handshake or some sort of a, you know, when you're married for a certain amount of time you and your wife develop phrases that sound innocuous but mean a lot more than what they actually are. And I'll, you know, um, my wife, I'll say, are you good? And I'll, she knows that's me saying, are you ready to leave now or should I have another cigar? She know, but it sounds innocuous. I think we need a national standards started here on the Cigar Cast. What can one cigar man say to another? that will identify the status of cigar smoking in the premises. However, that, that being said, and I think that's a great idea, but that being said, if you use that understood for it, you're still putting the host in the same situation of having to go, oh, I wasn't thinking about that, or maybe he was, or, you know. Well, but if you're So I don't mixed, think it solves your problem. Say you're in mixed company, you know, of you and the host and a couple of other people, and y'all are at, you know, some event somewhere that's not the cigar shop. Okay. And all you need something you can say that will something you can say or do, a moonshiner's handshake, if you will, 
that you can say or do that will give you an affirmative or a negative on the cigar smoking situation. But when we're talking about a, a party for the big game, I think that's something that you need to identify before you go. Because, again, speaking just personally, that's going to determine whether or not I want to go. Yeah, when you're looking at your options for the for the big game, you've got to decide, is this a smoking or is this a not smoking type uh, case in point, this year I got an invite to a party. Um, at that time I almost slipped up. I've been doing good to this point. Uh, you know, I, we got an invite to a party on Sunday night that is with our small group from church. And there's not going to be any cigar smoking at that party. And so we were trying to think of, like, the last four years I've watched it here and enjoyed a cigar. That's part of the enjoyment for me. So... You know, what we're kind of thinking of is maybe, but this is a new group of friends that we're trying to cultivate. So we definitely want to make an appearance. But at the same time, we're also so much older than everybody else that they don't realize that by the time you get your 30s, you have a party. Oh, man, I did it. I'll edit that out in post. <laughs> and the yeah. first slip up. Yeah, I can't believe it was me. I can't believe it was me. Um, hey, I hope the NFL has time to poll our four listeners and yeah. find out that we slipped. <laughs> I hope the NFL's got that kind of time. But uh, but once you reach a certain age, you have your party. You know, you've got the one guy that hosts it every year. That there's none of this like we're oh well I'm this person and this. So it's kind of kind of puts us in the awkward position of like I knew at last year's game that I was going to have plans for this year's game. And so it's just kind of weird. So I, I think what we'll probably end up doing is doing the first half there to make an appearance, and then probably watch the second half here. Okay, I have to ask the question: Do you do you observe the Irish goodbye when you do that? Do you just sneak out? Do you or the Irish goodbye to de, to define for everybody is when you just leave and don't really spend a lot of time saying see everybody later. I'm a huge fan of the Irish goodbye. I'm a huge fan when when executed properly. It's it's fantastic because your goodbye can turn from three minutes to 30 if you're not careful doing it the other way. Right. Nobody's feelings get hurt. And all of my friends, I've trained, I've coached up all my friends, especially as it pertains to weddings. If somebody walks up to you at a wedding and says, Shane here, have you seen Shane lately? What do you, your answer should always be, I uh, seen him a few minutes ago. Yeah. And just leave it at that. It don't matter if you do, if I left right after they said I do. They, I do. Clunk, clunk. That's my tor- car door shutting. <laughs> you still, you owe it to me as a friend to say, oh, I seen him a few minutes ago. So the I think the, the Irish goodbye should be very well cultivated. Okay, was that 23 or 32? 32. Okay. Right. <laughs> so we need to wrap it up. But I, one more thing is, in this particular case, I, I, I'm not going to Irish goodbye because we're trying to co- cultivate these friendships. We, we could but, just turn this. Yeah, but that's what, we should do the Irish goodbye on the show this week. Um, but no, we're running over, so I'm going to bring the show to a close. Uh, Thank you all for listening this week. We've got a bunch of ways to get a hold of us. Info at thecigarcast.com is our email address. We're on facebook.com slash thecigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. Well, until next week, everyone have a great cigar and thank you.